Good morning. Welcome uh, to church. I guess it's more welcome back for me and back to church. It's been a few weeks. Um, and the mic situation, I would just like to point out that that has been um, our life since the moment we left Israel, is it's just a bit of chaos in our world right now. Uh, those of you who saw, James was going to be preaching this morning, but he is not. Uh, and you get me. So good morning. Um, those of you who don't know, we just got back from Israel. It was this like... I can't even describe how rich of a trip it was. So full, so packed full of all of it. And I'm really not going to be talking a lot about it this morning other than some things that the Lord just spoke to me while we were there, uh, specifically about the church and, and what the church is. And, and um, that passage in Matthew uh, 16, which is where we're going to be going today. But there is something about being in this land that the Bible talks all about, right? For those who may not know, this whole entire book is based around this portion of land. Every scripture that is written is based around this, this area that is called Israel. All of it and the surrounding areas, all the stories that you read about and all, the, uh, all, all of the things that, that Christ spoke about was around this land. And he was using the context of, of where he was walking and the things that he was seeing. And so get to be there and to get to actually see those things was pretty spectacular on so many levels. But really, the richness that you can look at scripture through when you see it in reality uh, is something that's very hard to describe with words. The other thing interesting that you learn as soon as you touch down and you're there is that there is, um, there is something that I think we don't realize about this land and the people, the Jewish people, and that is, is that they are set apart. And when God said that in the Old Testament, that he said, I have set them apart as my people, and look to them and watch and see what happens, that he wasn't joking. That there's some pretty amazing things that have been going on. What you also realize as you're looking at this is that there is something spiritual going on in that part of the world and we can't deny it. No matter who you talk to, whether or not what their background was, because majority of the country is not Christian, right? They don't believe that the Messiah is the Messiah that we would believe. And so these aren't people that have this necessarily the exact same belief system we have, but there's something that they know, no matter who you're talking to, whether or not it is um, whatever ethnic background and whatever religious background, is that there are, there's something miraculous that is happening there right now. It's very interesting to be there and to get to hear their stories and to get to, to experience what they're experiencing um, there. But the biggest part for me was to see the richness of the words that Christ spoke. Because those who may not pay attention much to that part of the world is that they have archaeologists, archeolo is that what they're called? Yeah, whatever those people are, you know, people who dig up things and find, like, those people. Um, I would just like to point out that I'm a little jet-lagged, and I was up, I've got up at 3 this morning. So, 
Give me a little grace. Uh, anyway, so they're, they're there. And so they're, they're constantly digging this stuff up. And in the last five years, they have found more and more and more. So you're not only like in this land, you're actually seeing stuff that is dated back to the time of Christ and before. Right? So you're in this space where they've actually dug it up and you're walking and you're looking in the, 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 in, uh, the different rooms and the different palaces that they talk about and the different nations and what they looked like and how far apart they were and all these things. Well, now they found these walls and they found the buildings and they found the gates and all the things that scripture is talking about. They've actually dug it up from the ground. And it's accurate. I mean, I know that shouldn't surprise us, but I think it does. Right? I think it does. The oldest thing that we saw, not the oldest thing, actually we saw older, but uh, probably the oldest, coolest thing we saw was the, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Most people know they found them years ago in this, in this rock and they took them out. If you don't know what they are, they're actually, uh, it, it's, it's written um, Bible text. Okay, the complete Bible is all written in all these texts and they found it. Now this dates back to a long time ago. Um, but in there, the oldest piece, okay, the oldest piece was this text of Genesis. So the beginning of the Bible is dated back to 5 BC. So we have written scripture, this, that they can say is dated back to before this guy named Jesus even walked on the earth. That's pretty cool. You know, what I think is cool about that is I think sometimes we, as Christians, um, and this has actually always drive me crazy because I love school, right? Like if those of you who don't know me before, I was going to become a pastor. Um, I was going to be a teacher. And so I was doing a degree in uh, chemistry and mathematics. And so I love to learn. I love logic. I love to understand. And so what you always drove me crazy as a Christian is that we separate this idea of faith and logic so much in the church, and I don't understand why. Is anyone else with me, or is it just me? Maybe I'm the only one. Okay. Uh, at least there's a few. Thank you. Thank you for confirming my thoughts. Uh, I don't understand why. I do understand why, because when you do some research, I think it came down to um, when the culture of the day, which really was the enemy attacking the church, right, started saying things that we couldn't explain. We didn't know how to explain what they were talking about in science and what they were talking about uh, in religion and faith and all these things. They just said, you know what, it's easier as a church to just talk about the things we know, which is faith, and to remove ourselves from the other conversation. It was the biggest mistake the church has ever done. Amen? Because if we believe in a God that's still like, there's texts there that talk about him before Christ was even born. This is Genesis. We believe in a God that is that accurate, is that big. Then why don't we believe that he has answers for all of the questions? Amen? Why don't we actually believe that when we dig in, instead of pulling away, that he will confirm himself over and over Instead of living from a place of fear that says that if we ask too many questions, maybe we'll find out that he's not right. So to be in this land and to start to see the accuracy of what scripture says, to start to see this, this word come alive was, was a very unique experience. I encourage anyone who has the opportunity to go, go if you have the opportunity just to read and to understand. Be careful where you're reading because not all of it's accurate, but uh, I can give you some great resources. 
But it is really interesting to be there and to be able to see all of that. And to see that if we dig in, all the answers are there. That there's always going to be a mystery, don't get me wrong. There's always going to be things that you're just going to have to live by faith on. And scripture talks about that too, right? But the more we dig in, God always comes out on top. And that's really what we're going to be talking about this morning. We went to this place. Actually, let me read the scripture first and I'll tell you a bit about where Jesus said this. It's a pretty common passage. Most of us who've been in the church have probably heard it before. Let's read it together. It is Matthew uh, chapter 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also, uh, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. Let me set this passage up, okay? Jesus had just gone from this place. They were talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And what he had warned them about is he says, be careful of what teaching you're listening to. Be careful of what you're allowing in. He talks about this leaven of the bread, but really what he's saying to them is he's saying being careful of what you're allowing to be teaching you, what, what you were allowing to teach you. And then they go and they, they go to this place. So this is the first time that Jesus reveals to his disciples who he is. It's the first time he actually proclaims it. He says, yes. There's other people that have asked him before this, and he's kind of skirted around it. But this is the first time he says, yes, you are right. I am the Messiah. This is who I am. It's a pretty bold statement. And this passage is often preached on, and you know what? I think in, you probably don't know this, but in the theological world, you know, everyone debates of what was he actually talking about when he said, on this rock, what is the rock? Is he talking about Peter? Is he talking about Christ? Like, what is this rock? And it seems like a silly thing to debate, but people like to debate silly things, so they debate about it. I, we had the opportunity, actually, to be in Caesarea Philippi and to stand there. And I want to show you what we saw. Uh, the picture of, can you put up the picture of not the drawn one, but the actual real, the other one? Great. So this is one of the things that is there, okay? And then to the left of that, left for you guys, to the left of that is another massive cavern in the, in the rock and this like hole, okay? So there's this one, there's another, and then there's another one. And as you go around, you can see all these pathways and then there's this mosaic on the ground that's kind of half there and the tiles and stuff. And so you can see, um, you can go to the other one now, you can see 
that uh, historically this is what they thought the area looked like. Okay, so the middle one is the one that you just looked at. You can see the archways in there. The one to your left is, uh, is another temple. And then the one right in the middle is that big hole in the ground that kind of falls down. Okay, following me? Just giving you the visual. Do you see the massive rock that all these things are built in? So this is where Jesus was standing, right in front of all of this. He's standing to the disciples and he says, this, this, Simon Peter, yes, I'm the Messiah and I'm going to build my church on this. What I love about standing here, and I'm going to give you some more context about this picture. What I love about standing in this place is God revealed that, you know what, my word is living. Let me explain what I mean by that. He says, you debate over whether or not it's Peter that I was talking about or Christ that I was talking about. And now you're standing here and you're looking that there's a massive rock that we're staring at. That maybe it's all the things. That you can listen to someone preach on the exact same passage of scripture and it can sound different every single time. Why? Because it's the living word. Because God in his infinite wisdom has put layers upon layers upon layers for mysteries for us to understand as we study his word. I don't know about you, but to me, who loves to learn, that's exciting for me. To know that it doesn't matter how many times I read this word, that he will reveal something new every day. Isn't that good? I know that in our human flesh sometimes it doesn't feel good because we just want to understand God. But the older I get, the more thankful I am that I don't have to have all the answers. Amen? You're young, you think, I just need all the answers, and then I'll have all life figured out, and it's all going to be good. And then you get to a point where you're like, having the weight of having to have all the answers, that's too heavy for any person to carry. And then you go through this place as an adult where you're trying to figure out now, but I don't have all the answers, but I feel like I should have all the answers. And then there's this beauty when you understand God in a way that says, you know what, I don't need to have all the answers because you have all the answers. The mystery of the Lord. So let me let me explain a little bit more. Oh, it disappeared. That's okay. Um, the picture. Let me explain a little more of what this is. So you see these places, and I think as believers, we would assume that they're temples and synagogues and things that the Jewish people were being at, especially considering Jesus chose to stand here and say, hey, I'm the Messiah. Who do you think I am? And they say, you're the Messiah. You are, this is who you are. And he declares that. But this is actually the temple of Pan. Okay, is that big one that has the big hole? The one next to it is a temple of someone else, another god, and another god, another god. These are all, these would all have been the pagan gods of the day. This area right here, what this was known for, was all of the depravity that was a part of humanity at that time was done in this place. See, the God of Pan, where that big archway is, and there's that pit. The God of Pan is a God that was a human up top and goat below. He was a Greek God, but he was this God of, of all things pleasure. Said, you know what, come and worship me and indulge your pleasures, whatever you want to do. It was this, this, this environment that anything sexually was okay. And they actually believed that they would experience more pleasure by uh, giving it sacrifices. So they would take their babies and throw them in that pit. 
Before we all go, how deprived are they? Are we actually that different? Think about the things that we do, and I won't get into it too much up here because I'll get lots of emails, but think about the things that we've chosen are okay to do with our babies. Things that seem to just be normal now. Think about, we hear about these things where bestiality, where people were having, you know, sex with animals in, 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 in acts of worship, with children in acts of worship. All of these things, everything was okay. And then we think, how deprived could they be? And then we have to take a look and say, but we live in a culture that idolizes sexuality. It's become our identity. Right? Instead of Christ, what he says is, I am the one that I will build my church on. I am the one that is your identity. Very similar to all of the things. We may have made it look prettier than maybe it was back then, but they are still there. The same temptations, the same stuff of indulging our pleasure, indulging what is good for me must be good. As long as I feel good, everything must be good. Instead of realizing that, you know what, there are major consequences when we indulge our own desires too much. This is the place that Christ stood in the middle of what they were looking at, which was the depravity of the day. All of the things that say, oh my goodness. I don't know about you, but sometimes I watch the news and I have to stop because I don't want to get out of bed. Because I feel like this just seems too hopeless. You know? There's just too much. Maybe even life itself sometimes. You know, you just go, this just seems too much. Let's just stay under the covers for a while. But Jesus chose to take his disciples to the place that really represented that place as a human being of saying, this is too much. We have nothing to fight against this with. He chose to take them there and declare who he was. What a beautiful picture, hey? You know, I stood there, and a lot of the people who were with us, they, and I understand why, they're like, we don't even want to take pictures here. Like, it's just so weighty that this stuff happened here. And as I stood there, and I stared at this rock, and I stared at this opening, and there was this, obviously, this sadness of what had happened there. But then there was, like, the Lord's voice saying, but yes, in the face of all of that, I still won the victory. Amen? It was like this idea, this picture of he, he was actually showing them, saying, I understand that it looks overwhelming. I know that life is going to look overwhelming. I know that the things that you're facing are going to look overwhelming. I know that culture is going to look overwhelming. I know all of these things. But I have victory even in that place. He didn't go to a safe place where the home was and declare that on this rock I'll build my church, Peter. He brought them here. And you see this rock and you see this flat part on top of the rock. And as I stood there, I looked and it was like God said, see, my church is over all of that. Amen? Do you get that? My church, I am building over all of this. That gateway where the big, the big arches are, they actually called that uh, gateway to hell. 
That's what it's called. That's what it was called here. So when he said, um, you know, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he was literally looking at what they called it. He was saying that this picture of all of the things that seem like they're against me, all of the things that cause pain and sorrow in this world, that's not going to prevail against me, the Messiah. Amen? It's a pretty spectacular picture when you're there. And all of a sudden, all of that weightiness and sadness that you feel as you look at what happened there, I actually got kind of excited. I got excited because God reminded me that in the face of what looks like overwhelming circumstances sometimes, in the face of overwhelming places that God may put you, places where it seems like who you are is such a contrast to the space that you're in, in that place, that's where Jesus declared, that's where my church is. That's where my church has power. That's where my church has authority. It's a pretty amazing picture. And I got excited because I said, you know what, Lord? Maybe we're too sheepish sometimes. Maybe we're too afraid Because we look at the mass and we're so overwhelmed with the sorrow of what's happening that we forget that he declares that he is over all of it. From that, this is where he goes. Let's read the rest of the passage. Starting in 21, you ready? From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, be killed, and be raised the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and said, Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns but human concerns. The other part of this is that sometimes we don't see the victory because we're not thinking about God's concerns, we're thinking about ours. Jesus didn't say, de declare, he stood there and he declared and said, on this rock, Peter, yes, you're going to be the forefather, your name means rock, and yes, you're going to be a part of building the church. And I am the Messiah, I am the cornerstone, and yes, I am a rock, and the church is going to be built on me, but also the church is going to be built over all of this. The church has authority over all of this. And he states this to them. And right after, he starts telling them, but guess what? I'm going to suffer and die so that this can happen. And Peter says what? He says, You're, you can't do that. Like, what do you, and really, let's just think. Like, I, I love Peter, but I wonder sometimes. Like, I just don't think he has much of a filter. Is anyone else? Like this guy just told you he is the Messiah and now he's telling you what needs to happen and you're telling him no. Like that just seems like not the smartest thing in the world, you know? Uh, anyways, it's like me going out and trying to tell James how to fix my car. I mean, 
I think I've probably done it at some point, but it's like really not a smart idea because I don't know anything about the car, but he knows lots about the car. Why would I think that I can go out and tell him how to fix the car? And really, that's what like is happening here, right? Like, like Peter goes right after seeing all this and Jesus declaring this and he says, wait a second, no, you can't do that. And I love that the Lord is so bold and he just tells him, get behind me, Satan. I don't know if I've ever said that to any of my friends. Like, I feel like we may not be friends again if I said that to my friends. But he is Jesus, and so I guess he probably can get away with it, right? But he declares this. He says, get behind me. He says, your concerns are not God's concerns, and you need to be about God things. Here's what I see from this passage, that Jesus says, yes, victory is coming, and yes, you're going to stand in the face, and you can have boldness, and you can have authority, because you know what? You have the hope that everyone is searching for. Amen? The reason why they're running to all of these things is to feel, fill a void, to fill the place that feels empty, the place that says, I want to be loved and understood and seen. And Jesus is saying, they're searching for that, and you have that, so you can stand there with authority. But then he goes on and he says, but sometimes it comes with suffering. There's this tension, Right? Attention that we have to manage as believers. The gospel of salvation, the gospel of the good news is simple, but it's not easy. It's simple in that what Christ did when he went and suffered and offered us this, this gift of salvation. It's simple. But to actually follow him to say, hey, you know what, God, I want what you want, that's not an easy prayer to have. I felt the weightiness as I stood there and I prayed that prayer in front of this. And I prayed it just like this, like, I think because, I think it was in this place. Anyways, one of them, where, no, it was what the, the Beatitudes, it was the next day after this, and I remember seeing this and feeling like, okay, God, sometimes it just feels like too much, and then the next day, we're reading through the Beatitudes, uh, which is all the, like, blessed are the merciful, for they will, you know, all of those ones, and so, as I'm sitting there praying, and the guy had said, hey, you know what, I want you to pray about which one God is revealing in your life that he wants to work on in this next season, as I'm sitting there and praying is, is uh, what comes up is, blessed are the persecuted, and I was like, that's not what I want to hear. That doesn't sound fun at all. But I had to be like, okay, God, is this my concerns or your concerns? What's more important here? Just to be all honest and raw, I sat there and actually began to cry a little because I was like, okay, God, there's a weightiness to this prayer, and I want to make sure that I'm honest when I pray it. And it took me a while to wrestle with him and be like, okay. I'm willing to have the boldness and the victory and know that. I'm willing to step out into whatever space you want me in, even if that means controversy, even if that means hardship and suffering and all of those pieces. Not for the sake of having it, not to go out and offend people so that, you know, that, that's not what I'm talking about. But God, I'll speak your truth. No matter what that means. See, I think what Christ is telling them here is he's reminding them, he says, in the end, I will have the victory. But that does not mean that the journey is going to be easy. Because God's concerns are different than our concerns. Amen?
Do we mean that? That God's concerns are different than our concerns. I'm going to call the worship team up. The whole trip, there's a lot of things. But what I came back with, with two things. One, there is a boldness that we can speak about truth with because it is proven with evidence. Amen? You walk in these places and you can see that there is truth there. But the second piece, which is my challenge for you and for us as a church, is that we wouldn't run away from the hard things. We wouldn't run away from the hard work that it takes for fullness in relationship with Jesus. Right? Because after you've heard me talk about many times, there's a difference between salvation. Salvation is a free gift, one that is uh, only by the acceptance of who Christ was, him being the Messiah and what he did on that cross. But then there's this piece of relationship with God. And relationship with God takes some effort and some work on our part. Saying, God, I'm willing to do the hard things if it means more of you. If it means actually being in the place that you want me to be in and saying what you want me to say, I'm willing. I want to be about God's concerns and not human concerns. Anyone else with me this morning that I want to be about God's concerns and not human concerns, amen? And if we're not, what are we doing? We're no different than going and worshiping before one of these idols. If it's all about us, if it's all about, you know what, I just want to appease my pleasure, if that's all it's about, then you're searching for the wrong God. Is there tremendous gift in following the one true God? Absolutely. Is there peace and joy? Is there goodness? faithfulness, all of these things in scripture, absolutely, but let's not pretend that sometimes it's, gonna, it's not going to be hard. God has built his church, and sometimes we forget that we have authority over it all. Sometimes we need reminded to be reminded of he's actually built his church to have authority to step into spaces and speak with power. I'm going to pray for you and I encourage you as we finish the service off with worship that you ask the Lord God, make me about your concerns and not mine. But I do tell you to uh, ask it carefully because when you give that offer up to the Lord, he may actually answer it. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for your church. I thank you for the promise that you made, that you are the victory, that you are over all. God, that you are big enough for whatever our situation, whatever our problem, whatever our suffering. God, that you are big enough to be present in it. 
God, that you have a plan through it. And God, we stand here this morning and say, let us be about your concerns and not ours. Would you give us eyes to see? Give us mouths to speak when needed and restraint to stop when needed? God, would you give us hearts that are humble before you? Ones that are willing to listen, to hear, and to be corrected. Thank you for who you are. In your name, amen.